0: Hello and welcome to The Literacy Teacher's Life, a podcast for teachers and parents that gives ideas about how to help our children learn to love reading, writing, and all things literacy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morfus, a literacy professor and a mom to two elementary aged girls. Here we'll talk about thoughtful, creative, and realistic ways to navigate literacy learning so that your children will feel supported and seen in their reading and writing. Now, Let's get this conversation started. Hello, and welcome to the Literacy Teacher's Life podcast, the podcast for teachers and parents who are helping young readers and writers thrive. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morfus. This is episode 16, which is airing at the end of May, just before Memorial Day. So today I have another special guest with me. Today, I am speaking with Jamie Sears, who is the founder of The Not-So-Wimpy Teacher. Jamie has a book that recently came out, and it's called How to Love Teaching Again, Work Smarter, Beat Burnout, and Watch Your Students Thrive. And this book provides strategies to make teaching more manageable. So Jamie and I are going to speak about her new book, and she's going to share many great tips and strategies with you. So here we go. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the Literacy Teacher's Life podcast. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for the invite.
0: All right. Can you begin by introducing yourself and talking a little bit about the Not So Wimpy Teacher?
1: Absolutely. So I am the founder of Not So Wimpy Teacher, and Not So Wimpy Teacher started 10 years ago when I was in the classroom, and I had Zero resources, which I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to.
0: And mm-hmm. I was
1: creating everything on my own because honestly, I couldn't afford to buy anything. And I had this crazy idea that what if there were other teachers out there who were trying to make their own resources too? And I thought maybe I'll just sell this one resource of mine and maybe <laughs> I'll make like 20 bucks a month so I can buy more books for my students. And that is kind of how some Teacher got started. It has evolved so much. And we are really honored to just get to simplify things for classroom teachers in grades two through five. And we really focus on just how can we make this easier? How can we make this lesson easier for teachers? How can we make the prep easier for teachers? How can we make just being in the classroom day in and day out a little bit easier for teachers? We're always asking ourselves that.
0: Oh, great. Yes, that is something that they want is how to, I just spoke to a bunch of a group of pre-service teachers yesterday and that the lesson planning was overwhelming, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, let's start with talking about some of the myths of teaching that you unpack at the beginning of your book. How can someone be a good teacher and not work 60 hours a week? I loved that introduction (laughs) to the book.
1: Yeah. So the book is, yeah, the book is How to Love Teaching Again. And I wrote it because so many teachers in my audience were leaving the profession before they truly wanted to. It's, it's one thing to decide it's time to leave and feel good about that. But they were teachers who were like, I've always wanted to be a teacher. I don't know what to do now. But they were burnt out and they just couldn't stay in the classroom. And I wanted to share with them productivity Strategies and systems that I created in my classroom, and that I also just use in my life as a mother, and my life as a homeschool teacher, (laughs) and my life as a business owner, that might just take what they're doing and make it a little bit easier because that's what not some be teacher does. And so, yeah, the myths about being a good teacher—I believed in every single one of these myths, so I throw myself under the bus throughout the book and let you know, this was me. I find that teachers nod their head and say that was me too. But I believed, I really truly believed that the best teachers worked 60 plus hours a week. And it started when my own cousin told me that that was true. She didn't have any children and she worked all the time. And when I told her I wanted to become a teacher, she actually told me, you can't be a good teacher and a good mom. You'll suck at one of them. And oh no, I was really scared. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, it, that's yeah, how we went into teaching was believing right. this, that I was going to either suck at being a mom or suck at being a teacher. And honestly, they both sounded like just terrible. And I wanted to prove her wrong. Well, how I decided right. to prove her wrong was I was like working crazy hours to try oh my to my be gosh. the teacher I saw on social media, the teacher I saw on Pinterest, all while also mm-hmm. trying to be this like Martha Stewart mom that I also <laughs> believed I needed to be. And I was... I was burning out in my very first year. There's not enough time in the day to be that kind of mm-hmm. teacher. I believed that I needed to be. And it was in my second year that I was like, I'm going to end up having to quit teaching because I can- right. this isn't sustainable. And I realized it very quickly in my career. And I'm so happy for that. But I realized this is not sustainable. I either am going to have to quit or change the way I work. And I decided to go with the latter and just change the way I work. I'm not going to say it was easy. Like, it's not like I flipped the switch and all of a sudden everything worked. It it wasn't that way. But I decided to lean into something. I thought early in my um, time as a mother, I had really gotten good at systems. I had Mm -hmm. to. I right. had four kids aged two two and under. So I quickly oh learned how to be super productive around the house, how to have systems right. to get things done faster. And I thought, what if I took these same skills and mm-hmm. brought them into my classroom? And so, yeah, how can you be a good teacher and work fewer hours? You need to have better systems. But ultimately, mm-hmm. you also need to believe. You need to believe that it's possible. You need to believe that being a good teacher is not defined by the number of hours you work. Right. When you start telling your brain that the number of hours I work is not equal to the the success I'm going to have in the classroom, you can Mm -hmm. start to change the way that you prepare for your lesson plans, the way that you grade, the meetings you go to, the way you use any plan time you might have Mm -hmm. before, after school, or during school. When you start to recognize that maybe being successful for you actually means working fewer hours. And it doesn't have to. Every teacher's different. But for me, I decided that to be a successful teacher, I'm going to work 40 hours. And so that became (laughs) my new goal. Instead of like, how many hours can I try to work? It became, how can I do the best job possible for my students and then leave and yes. come back rested the next day because I truly believed that also helped me to be a better teacher and a better mom, a better spouse, just a better human being. Right.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's funny you say that because one of my former, one of the graduates from the literacy program started a new position in the fall. And at the orientation, the superintendent of the school district said to all the new teachers So I'm going to give you a scenario. What if it's midnight and your lesson plan for tomorrow isn't done and you don't know what to do? What do you do? It's midnight. And they're all sitting there going, well, I guess we stay up and get ready. And he said, no, that's the wrong answer. You go to bed and you get up and you get into school a little bit earlier and you ask your colleagues for support. And he said the same thing. It's if you're exhausted, how are you going to be there for the kids? I thought that was a really nice way to begin wow. the school year for new teachers. That's right? awesome. Yeah. That is an amazing
1: yeah. administrator. I know we don't all get to work for administrators like that. But man, when right. you hear administrator like that, you know you found a great place to grow as an educator.
0: Right. Yeah. Because if you're exhausted, there's just no way you can do the job efficiently or effectively.
1: You will. Yeah. Yeah, you will never be that great teacher that you've dreamed about when you don't have the sleep, when you're stressed. And then teachers are often talking about how they get sick all the time. And although you're going to get sick more often as a teacher, because especially in elementary school, I don't know, but they're like sneezing (laughs) on you and coughing on you. I know. The rested teacher isn't going to get sick as often. And so right. there's so many health benefits. And if mm-hmm. you want this to be the sustainable career, if you're thinking you want to teach for 20, 30 years, then you can't right. just think about tomorrow. When you're up at midnight with no lesson plans, you're only thinking about tomorrow. You're not thinking right. about the you being a teacher in the future. Your future self, this isn't a sustainable practice. And so start right. now practicing those healthy habits.
0: Right. Absolutely. So I work with a lot of pre-service teachers and teachers who are new to the profession. What are some strategies that you have for students who are just entering the teaching profession or in the first few years of teaching on how to make teaching manageable?
1: Yeah, this is awesome. First, (laughs) I love that you serve these newer educators, because I Mm -hmm. wish I had that kind of support when I first started. And so right off the bat, the fact that they are listening to you and seeking guidance from somebody who has experience is so valuable. Keep doing that, (laughs) teacher friends. But as far as as far as far um, some of the tips that you would find in how to love teaching, again, I think right off the bat, I would say this to every teacher, but it's so valuable for a new educator is to define success for yourself. And that's right in chapter one, because I truly believe it's the first thing you have to do. It's going to guide you on which practices will be most beneficial for you. So right off the bat, success for you. And it needs to be something you can control. It's not test scores. It is not your admin coming into your classroom and giving you a review and you getting all check marks or all whatever they give you. It needs to be something you can control. And so for me, and your definition doesn't have to be like mine at all, you are your own individual person, make it be you. But for me, it was that every day I wanted to help students fall in love with learning while working only 40 hours per week. So right off the bat, I have control over both of those things. Helping students to love learning, it can be so small, but it's something I could do every day. If I help a student find a book that they love, I get to put a check mark on that day and be like, yes, that was success. Well done. And when I went home at my contracted time, I got to celebrate that (laughs) too. And I might not get the test scores that I wish for, but that's not how I defined success. So right off the bat, definitely define success. And I do think for new teachers, it's really important for you to keep your eye on your own paper. And there's a whole chapter about (laughs) it, but I didn't do it as a new teacher and it caused me so much stress. But as a new teacher, we go to look at all of the other teachers in our building, in our hallway, or even on social media. And we're like, ah, you know, I'm going to be good. I'm only a first year teacher, so I'm going to copy everything I see. And it's tempting, right? Because you see a teacher who you really admire, or you hear teachers on social media, you see these these TikToks and and you want to be that teacher. But it's so important to remember that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And that what you are seeing on social media and what you're seeing across the hall is not their first year of teaching. And so you need to understand that it's going to, you got to lay this foundation. The first year you're getting really used to just Mm -hmm. teaching. You're getting used to the standards and what that means. You're getting used to all of these things. It's okay that you don't have things like book tastings and room transformations. Consider all of that to be the extras. And in your first year, you don't have to have any extras to be a great teacher. Your students will love you without all of the extras. There's just this huge temptation when we're new to the field and even when we've been in the field for a long time (laughs) to try to copy what everyone else is doing, even though we just don't know their backstory. We don't know how stressed they might be or how many years they put into it before they got to the place Mm -hmm. where this is how they run their classroom. So yes, look to mentors, but know that you're growing into that person. You are not going to be that person today or this year. And that's okay. And that's how you are going to set yourself up for a more sustainable career.
0: That's great. And I love how you, how you framed it. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's great. So I really Absolutely. loved your whole- If you whole- want to stay yeah. in teaching, <laughs> yeah.
1: Sorry. If you want to stay in yep. teaching, then you want to have good habits. Start them, mm-hmm. start them really early, the good habits. Otherwise, honestly, could be like me and start burning out in the first year. And we don't, we don't, right. don't want to see that happen. You put too much work and you have like this dream, and we want to help you to like spread those wings and make it happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I really loved your whole chapter about ditching your to do list. And I found it very practical and really, you know, very easy to implement. And one of my favorite steps that you outlined is step number one buying a hard copy calendar. I completely agree. And so, can you talk? a little bit more about having a hard copy calendar and how that can help you with efficiency and productivity in the classroom.
1: Sure. So ditch the to-do list kind of gets people. They're <laughs> like, what? I have a ton of to-do lists. How am I going to just ditch them? I can't just throw them away, Jamie. And and I get it. I feel like as human beings, it's not just teachers. As human beings, we have this a habit of just keeping this long grocery list of items that we think we need to do, right? Because at one time mm-hmm. or another, our brain told us that we needed to do it. And so we just keep adding to the list. And in fact, we add more to the list than we can cross off. And it starts Sorry. to get really depressing because you look at the list and you start to judge yourself. You're like, I'm not doing a very good job. I'm not very productive. I have too much to do. Now I need to stay later. I need to take more home because you're looking at this list and you couldn't cross things off. I really challenge everyone to ditch (laughs) that whole method. And instead we do a brain dump of everything your brain thinks you need Mm -hmm. to do. And I let people know that your brain, it doesn't know. It's just telling you some things, but you're going to have to decide which things are actually a priority to you. But it's good to get it out of your brain because your brain will keep thinking about it until you take it out, right? You've been in bed before Mm -hmm. where you're thinking, I've got to grade those papers. Oh yeah, I got to email somebody. I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And it's hard to let go. So brain dump once a week, but then you're going to go through that list and you go, which ones would there be a negative consequence if I did not finish it this week? And that's what I'm asking. Would there be a negative consequence? Not, would it be nice if I got this done? (laughs) Would it be fun if we did this? Those things, you might have time for some of those, but you have to just start with calendaring the things that are the highest priority. Things like having an IEP meeting. That's something that you have to go to. There's a negative consequence for not going to your IEP meeting. So you're (laughs) gonna put it on your calendar. Why I suggest like you have like a physical calendar. I personally like having a physical calendar because as soon as I open up my phone or my iPad, I am distracted once again. I see my work email, I see social media, I see texts from family members. And I right. get off track again. When I simply have a physical calendar, and I like the ones that are that have slots for each hour, like time slots for each hour. Right. Yeah. This allows me to calendar my priorities to an exact time block when I'm going to mm-hmm. finish this <laughs> task. Not work on it, but finish the task. And then I can set the calendar out on my desk. And it helps me to keep on task. So the whole calendaring things to finish is so important, though. I know as a teacher, I would often say like, oh, after school, I'm going to work on my grading. After school, I'm going to work on my lesson planning. Mm -hmm. What happens is if you can't finish all of your grading, then when you go home, Mm -hmm. your brain tells you, you screwed up. You didn't get it all done. No, now you're going to have to work more. Once again, it wasn't a productive day. Your brain will tell you all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So instead, you never had enough time to do grading. If you were to look at the pile of grading you think you need to yeah. do and the time slot you had, you were never going to finish it. No. So break it into micro tasks so that mm-hmm. you're putting a time block maybe you only have from 3.30 to 4. Then don't say you're going to grade all of the writing samples from 3.30 to 4 because that's silly. You're not going to get through it. Right. Instead, write. Write grade four writing samples. Write that into the time yeah. block from 3.30 to 4. At, at 4 o'clock, then you can just ask, yourself, did I grade four writing samples? If you graded four or more, then you're giving yourself a pat on the back because you did it. And you're right. very likely to complete that task because when your brain saw that on the counter, it was like, oh, that's pretty manageable. And so you actually got to work faster because it seemed manageable. When you look at that big right. long to-do list, your brain said, Ain't no way we're going to get through that. No. And so sometimes you don't even start, right? You just go next door and start talking to your teacher bestie <laughs> because that list, you already know you're going to fail at that list. So why right. try? So break it up into those micro tasks. It's something we do mm-hmm. for our students. We break tasks, right. micro tasks for students. We don't just give them the whole project all at once and say, all right do it. We break it up into little pieces. Do this for yourself. You will thank yourself later when you feel so much more productive.
0: That's so true. Absolutely. That's great advice. And then it just, it hangs over your head, especially the grading when you don't complete it. It just hangs there. As you said, you feel bad about yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you're at home trying to enjoy time with family, friends, whatever, right. hobbies, and you can't because your head is right. still telling you, you're going to be up all <laughs> night grading.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. So you also write about being strategic when lesson planning. What are some tips you have for early career teachers about planning their lessons?
1: Yes. Here's a two that I think will make a huge difference. One is to have routines in your classroom. As a first-year, second-year teacher, I was trying Mm -hmm. to keep my students engaged by changing things up every single week. So I thought like, oh, my kids will get bored if we do the same thing every week. I don't wanna do that. But what I was actually doing was causing a ton more work for myself, which was making lesson planning and prep take longer. I was also taking away class time because now I had to explain your expectations of new assignments. And my students felt more anxious, less independent. And didn't know how to be successful because I was constantly changing the rules on them too. When I realized what I was doing, I went to creating routines. These can be daily routines where like every day Mm -hmm. your ELA block looks the same. Or it can be weekly routines. Like every Monday we do this. Then every Tuesday we do this. But have routines so that like if I walk into your classroom on Tuesday at 9.32, I would always see the same sort of activity even if the skill Mm -hmm. changes. This makes it so Mm -hmm. much faster for you to lesson plan. You can almost lesson plan for weeks in advance because if you know, like every Tuesday we do an interactive notebook activity in grammar, then you can just simply write interactive notebook activity into your lesson plan book for every Tuesday for here on out. And now you just have (laughs) to go in and fill out which scale is it, nouns or verbs or what have you. So have routines in your classroom. Know your students won't get bored by routines. They actually... Feel more empowered by our routine, just Mm. like you do as a teacher. If every day you came into the classroom and your principal changed up your schedule every day, you would really struggle with how to be successful, right? That would just make you anxious. That's what we do to our students when we change everything. It's okay to change occasionally, like it's a holiday and you want to do something cute or different. That's okay. But keep it the same 95% of the time, and you will save yourself so much time in the lesson planning. The other thing to make lesson planning so much faster is to batch your lesson plans. Mm -hmm. And what this really means, whenever we batch something, batching is something you can do in your life as a mom and your life as a dad or as a teacher, is that you're doing a huge batch of one type of task. So with lesson planning, that would mean that you're creating several weeks of Mm -hmm. one subject's lesson plans or one unit's lesson plans. Instead of creating one week, for every subject. So for me in the elementary school classroom, that would mean that I would sit down and I was making five weeks of math plans one week, and the next week, five weeks of reading, and the next week, five weeks of writing, instead of every week sitting down and making reading, writing, math. In secondary classrooms, this can look like sitting down and I'm going to write all of my lesson plans for teaching, comparing, contrast. And I'm gonna write Mm -hmm. out the whole unit, not just this week. So this saves you time because you are not task switching. And task switching costs you a lot of time. Just in life, mm-hmm. every time you switch tasks, your brain has to catch up. And there's this lull. Anytime you switch tasks, your brain is not no longer in the flow mode. And it has to, like, figure it out again. So when I would do lesson plans for every subject each week, I'd be doing my reading plans. And I would start in the first couple of days it would be hard to fill in that little box. Because I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Wait, I got to think about this. But by the time I got into the flow, I got the weeks Mm -hmm. done. And now I'm in the flow and I have to close up my reading book and get out new materials, which also costs me time. So the longer you can stay focused on one subject, the faster it starts to be. So it actually takes less time to create five weeks of reading plans than it does to create one week of five subjects because right. you allow yourself to get in that great flow, where you actually come up with your best ideas in that flow yeah. state as well. So really quality lesson planning comes out of a batching session too.
0: Right. No, I love that. I completely agree because you're in the work. And I love how you also said it simplifies your life because then you can plan for materi- what materials you need. And again, I feel like you're being proactive with that rather than reacting the night before and buying materials, spending more money on materials that you might only use once.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. that happens, right? And so that teacher yeah. in the middle of the night without our lesson plans, see, yeah. when you're batching, you don't yeah. come up to this as often. And it does, it allows you to send it to the copy yeah. shop or go to the copy room and make your copies before Monday morning when you needed right. them. And then the copy right. machine isn't working and you're super stressed right. and you spill your coffee and everything starts <laughs> to like pile up on Monday morning. If you want to avoid that, you're batching your lesson plan so you Mm -hmm. actually can look forward. You're like, I know what I'm teaching in three weeks. Can it change? Absolutely. Because teachers always ask me like, well, what if my kiddos struggle with a lesson? Then you can always add in a day where maybe you're doing some reteach. You can make adjustments. It's easier to adjust something that's already been planned out than it is to start from zero every single week.
0: Completely agree. So let's talk about grading. So for me, this is the most challenging part of the profession, but it is it is a big part of the job. So what are some strategies that you wish you had implemented at the beginning of your teaching career to make grading more manageable?
1: Yeah, I compare grading <laughs> to going to the dentist. It's like, yeah, I have to do it, yeah. but it's not enjoyable. Like people, you'll rarely find anyone who would say, oh, grading, it's my favorite part about being a teacher. No, it's nobody's favorite. But I think one thing you need to do as a teacher is to remember why we grade. And for some -hmm. of you, it might mean even making a mindset shift to why we grade. Grading is how students are showing what they know towards the mastery of a standard or skill. So too often we get ourselves in the place of like, well, we got to grade everything because if we didn't grade it, then it wasn't worth the student's time. Like we wasted their time or we didn't hold them accountable. When we start making grading about other things besides just checking their status towards a standard, then we add Mm a ton of work to our plate. So if we're just going to grade everything we give them because we don't want to waste their time, then we're not actually giving them the opportunity to practice. Who wants to be assessed when they're just learning something new? That's not fair. But we tend to do it as teachers without really thinking Mm -hmm. about it. We give a worksheet right after we taught a lesson and then we grade it. And we're like, "There, we held them accountable. What we did was we put undue stress on them. They just learned something brand spanking new. And we said, here's your paper to practice, but also I'm going to take a grade on it. So it's not right. truly practice. It's an assessment. We start assessing them immediately. So maybe right. readjusting our mindset about that. You don't need to grade everything and you right. don't need a grade every day. I suggest that if you've been told by your school that you need a certain number of grades per subject area each week or each month or whatever it might be, that that be your minimum. Don't try to be a superhero here and have more than enough. Okay? You need to grade things when you feel like your students are ready, that you taught it, they practiced it, and now they are ready to show you that they have Mm -hmm. mastered it. And that's when you want to grade. So things like homework, review, centers, and things don't necessarily need to be a grade. That helps. Also, I mean, there's just calendaring your grading is super important too Mm -hmm. often because it's the thing we don't like to do. We let it stack up on our desk until it's like just a monstrous task. Well, then our brain's going to be like, "Ah, I can't do that. So we don't want to let it stack up. So we want to put grading time slots on that calendar of yours, whether it's during your plan period, before school, after school, whenever you choose, you want to put some slots where you are being intentional. Like I am going to grade 10 math tests today. I'm going to grade and you're going to put the time slot that you're going to complete that mini task. When you're grading writing, have a really good, easy to use rubric. (laughs) Even using volunteers, if your school allows it, don't assume your school doesn't allow it until you're truly checked because you might be surprised. But I was (laughs) able to have parent volunteers, grade spelling tests and just things that were just quick and easy, like there was a right or a wrong answer. And uh, Mm -hmm. that helps too. But more than anything, don't grade everything. It is perfectly acceptable to allow students to practice, and then they can either take their practice home or you can recycle it for them. That is okay. Give yourself some freedom to do that without Mm -hmm. feeling any sense of guilt. Know that you're actually giving your students the gift of practice.
0: Oh, great. Yes, that's much more manageable when you calendar it as well. And I love the idea of not grading everything. Kelly Gallagher, I just attended a session that he was running, and he said the same thing about writing: don't grade every piece of writing; it's not necessary. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. I I don't know where this where this came from, but we think we need to grade every darn piece of writing, and instead, mm-hmm. like, decide how many you have to have, and allow your students to decide which their best piece, and that's the one you're grading. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. It's going to free you up because, yeah, writing (laughs) samples take the longest (laughs) to grade, in my opinion, because it's not just right or wrong. But, yeah, we we think we got to get a grade every day or else maybe they won't work hard. But the whole like if our students aren't working hard, we need to get more grades. I think I got to push back on that and say if our students aren't working hard, we need to get to the bottom of why they're not working hard. Sometimes it's because they don't know how to do the task. They're struggling with doing the task. Sometimes it's a growth a growth mindset issue we need to resolve. Sometimes it truly is a laziness and that too Mm -hmm. can be something we need to resolve. But the answer isn't grade more because typically these types of students aren't caring as much about their grade either. And so we're just adding more work to our plate and perhaps more anxiety to some students. Some Mm -hmm. students are going to get super anxious about having everything graded all of the time.
0: Right, absolutely. I know, I would imagine if you had your
1: administrator... Imagine imagine yeah. if you had your administrator in your classroom every single day assessing you as a teacher. It would be terrible. That would stink. <laughs> that would, it was just terrifying, honestly. And so I kind of think about that with my students. Like they don't need me to assess them every single day. Mm-hmm. You can also use a lot of informal assessments. Informal assessments can be yeah. just like having them do something on a whiteboard where they they hold it up and you're like, yes, the class gets it. We can move <laughs> on. And it's not an individual right. formal assessment.
0: Absolutely. I love that's a great way to put it. How would you feel if your administrator was there assessing you every day as a teacher? That's a great way to think about that. I love it. So how can new teachers set boundaries so that they're enjoying teaching as well as enjoying their lives outside of school?
1: First and foremost, you need to give yourself permission to have boundaries. Mm -hmm. I didn't for so long. And that's Mm -hmm. what got me so close to the brink of burnout. Give yourself permission The good teacher has boundaries. Like if you said that to yourself all the time, like the good teacher has boundaries, because unfortunately Mm. we have it in our head that somehow we're not as good of a teacher if we set boundaries. Boundaries are your ability to say no and your ability to say yes. So important boundaries for a teacher, only check your school email during your work hours. So put it on your calendar when you're going to check it. Do not put your school email on something like your phone or personal device because Mm -hmm. even if you think, ah, it only takes me a minute, I'm just going to peek at my email. If you get an email from a parent or from an administrator Mm -hmm. that upsets you, it can steal so much of your personal time as you stew over. it. I know I would sit there and tell my husband all about it. I can't believe the parent is mad about this. Like, I did this and I said that. And then like two hours later, I'll bring it up again. I'm like, I actually even (laughs) did this can you believe it? And he's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so over it. Like, I don't care, but it's in my brain and I can't get rid of it. So do right. yourself the biggest favor, new teachers and never put your work email on your phone and don't feel guilty about it for one moment. Just consider yourself mm-hmm. above, like moving up above the rest because you figured it out earlier than everyone else. <laughs> this goes for things like if you use apps, if you use apps for parent communication, yeah. like, class dojo or remind or whatever don't put those on your phone either keep work at work home at home and then Mm -hmm. creating healthy work hours what will your work hours be sometimes teachers get really offended when they're like but I like to work on the weekends I'm like great then work on the weekend like you get to decide to some extent Mm -hmm. when your work hours will be and I feel like just be intentional about deciding that communicating it to your family. You can put it in the the email signature line. Like my work hours are blank to blank. If you email me after work hours, know that I'll get back to you within 24 hours. That's so valuable. Think about it. Doctors do it. When I call Mm. my doctor's office on Friday at five o'clock, I do not expect anyone (laughs) to pick up and take care of, you know, scheduling me an appointment. And people respect that because they communicate their hours. And so as long as you communicate your hours, then people respect it. Does this mean no one's going to email you on the weekend? No. Right. It's fine. They can email me on the weekend. I right. will check it on Monday. And as long as they know that cuz I know as a parent, if I think of something I have to tell my kids teachers, I got to email it right now because like <laughs> I'm going to forget. That doesn't right. mean that I expect them to email me back immediately. In fact, I expect to be emailed back during the school week. But if you don't have boundaries, parents will quickly realize, oh, she emails all weekend. I'll just really quick send her this and expect a response in an hour. Don't get yourself in that position. Set boundaries now and really keep to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. So are there any thoughts you would like to share before we end? I just really want to remind teachers,
1: once again, that your value as an educator has nothing to do with test scores. It has nothing to do Mm -hmm. with whether you're the last car in the parking lot. Your students need you, like the person that you are, your personality, the passions that you have that you bring into the classroom. And so I want you to keep that in mind every single day when you're tempted to do even more than you physically should be doing. Remind yourself that you would not suggest to your own students that they stay up till midnight working. So don't do it for yourself. And I I really want teachers to understand that their value, whether or not they're a good teacher or not, is completely about how much heart they have for the Mm -hmm. profession, so write your definition of success down on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror, or on your computer screen and read it every single day because no one else in the profession will remind you of it. You've got to do that yourself.
0: Oh, that's such good advice. Thank you so much. So before we end, we like to just end on a positive note and I can go first. So is there anything in your reading or writing or teaching life that is going really well that you would like to share? And I can share what's going well for me. I work right now with in-service teachers who are, they're working in a literacy clinic, and they're working with kids on reading and writing who are in grades K through 12. And the kids come onto campus every Monday and my students work with them. And one of my students' It's her first year in a tenure track position, and it was a tough beginning of the school year for her. There was a lot going on, a lot of pressure. And I went into to observe her again on Monday and to give her some feedback. And she was just doing an unbelievable job with this student. The child is loving reading because of the lessons that she's planning. So that's something that's going well for me. I'm really... she, And it's it go, flowing into her day job as a teacher. And she's seeing tons of improvement in her classroom and in her relationships in the building as well. So that's always great.
1: I love hearing stories like this. (laughs) I just read something last night that's like, I've been thinking about so much today and reminding myself of, and I, I wonder if your listeners need to hear it too. I have a teammate who wrote a little piece in a book and it's called, So God Made a Mother. And I wanted to read what she wrote just because she's a friend of mine. And so I wasn't thinking that I needed to read it, but I just wanted to. And so I read it and it was all about how it's okay to be a working mom and that it's that as a working mom, we can celebrate with our kids, our work success too, Mm -hmm. that you don't have to be an employee or a mom, but you can be an employee and a mom and I read it last night and it was just felt so refreshing to me today as I go to work to share with my kids the big and amazing things that I'm doing at work Mm -hmm. and getting to help them to see how valuable it is, whether they choose to be stay at home parents one day or whether they choose to work in the home, outside the home. It's important. I loved the word and, and I wonder if teachers could use that too. Like, I can go home at three o'clock and be a great teacher. I mean, I just, that the power of and. it just stuck with me.
0: Oh, I love that. I always say to people, I'm an and, not an either or. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate your time and all of your wonderful advice to new teachers. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth.
0: Okay. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jamie as much as I did. She had so many great tips and suggestions for making teaching a little bit more manageable and enjoying your life outside of the classroom without the guilt. So I hope that Jamie shared something that makes you think differently about your teaching life and how it can be more manageable and fun. So I'll be back after Memorial Day in June with another episode. I hope you enjoyed these interviews this month. I know I did. So until next time, you can find me on Instagram at the Literacy Teachers Life Or you can check out my blog at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Until next time. And that's it for this episode of The Literacy Teacher's Life. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at theliteracyteacherslife. My email address is elizabeth at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend about this podcast. And of course... You can leave me a review on any podcast platform where you listen. I so appreciate it. I'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.